0: And welcome everyone to Preferred Lives, the official podcast of New Hampshire Golf. I'm Dave Long and I am joined here today with Matt Schmidt, the Executive Director of the New Hampshire Golf Association. Uh, no Scott Peters today, he's on assignment, but Matt, how are you? Good
1: Dave, how are you? Uh,
0: I'm good, I'm ready to go. Uh, this is the first time we've done it in World Headquarters for the NHGA. It so is, yeah. A, I, I am... Uh, thinking I should call it the palatial headquarters but I know you frown on that.
1: So. Someday. Someday it'll be palatial. <laughs> it, it gets the job done for us right now but but someday maybe it'll be a little more palatial.
0: Alright, before we get going let me mention that the presenting sponsor Preferred Lives is Golf and Ski Warehouse where on Saturday it is Demo Day, June 8th where you can demo all clubs between 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. out on their outdoor driving range Uh, there are uh, uh, demo the latest 2019 clubs Uh, there are club fittings there's enjoy special savings on 2019 golf apparel shoes bags golf clubs uh, golf gloves carts accessories etc and there's clearance pricing on previous season drivers fairway woods hybrids iron sets and apparel all right uh, let's see there's a range Is of that which location is that at? This is at Hudson, excuse me. Thank Perfect. you for mentioning that. Yep. Uh, you can get great savings at the other locations in West Lebanon, Scarborough, Maine, uh, and uh, Greenland, New Hampshire. But Demo Day is this week. It also leads you into Father's Day uh, for Good presents for Father's Day.
1: By the way, we should have mentioned this last week. We kind of... I know you mentioned it, but we didn't really follow up with it. But I know that Golf & Ski was doing the big $2,500 giveaway. Um... But you mentioned last week during the show it was in honor of their 30th year in business. That's, that's very cool. That's really really neat for those guys. that They've been able to, to hang around that long and be su- as successful as they've been, especially in an ever-evolving world of retail. It's well, pretty cool.
0: And not only that, they started their store in Scarborough the day, if you can recall, I think it was 2007, when George Bush and uh, Hank, the Treasury Secretary, Hank Paulson, who used to be an a all-Ivy tackle at Dartmouth, Came out and said that there was no liquidity yeah. in the financial system. That's the day they opened the door in Scarborough. Yep. So, and of course, we know what happened to the economy after that. So, you know, I think it's quite an achievement personally.
1: Yeah, it's very cool. Good for those guys and uh, and, and and everybody involved with golf and ski. It's great, great for the whole company.
0: Right, and there's also, um, you know, I personally think the key is the outdoor driving ranges. Oh yeah, because you know, I mean, there have there have been box sto- super box stores, golf stores that have come over the last. You know, 15, 20 sure, years yeah. around here that's come and gone. And uh, so I, I think that's one of the keys. And now they've made the adapted to being able to club fitting and being able to, you know, with the um, uh, do it all year round with the yep. simulators, etc. So, all right, a lot going on in golf, uh, but we are in the, a lot going on for, would you still call it the lull? We're in the lull before the U.S. Open, two weeks away?
1: I guess so. It still feels like you're coming off of a high from... From the PGA, which was great to have the PGA in May, but you know, I think now we're all we're all waiting for the U.S. Open. It's weird. It's going to seem like the season goes fast now because you've got the U.S. Open, and then we have the Open Championship, and then, to a large extent, we're going to feel like we're done.
0: Wasn't that my objection? All yeah, but
1: I think it's it's going to be different because I think in August the FedEx Cup will have our attention more than. It used to. I again. I know it'll have my attention more than it used to. So we're, we're
0: going to talk about that at the end of the show. I've got uh, the schedule uh, specifically that because I was looking at it, and to me, there's weird locations for events being held in July and Ju- and August. But anyway, that's well, heck,
1: I-, I even saw something that I don't think there was, and I don't have. I don't. I may be wrong about this, but I think I read that there was not a U.S. Open sectional qualifier that was held in the central or mountain time zones.
0: I was looking at those. And things. that
1: was, they. there used to be a big one in Memphis, which I think they got rid of because of the tour moving around. It had something to do with it. So it's, I mean, it's had impact. The, the change in the PGA Tour schedules has impacted a lot of different areas. I don't
0: know that I realized it. Uh, but it, And I was looking at it in the last, uh, yesterday, I guess, when I was uh, kind of figuring out what we're going to do for the show. And uh, it really has moved around. I didn't really. I didn't think it had, or maybe hadn't noticed. Maybe it's the last couple of years, but I mean, it's all over the place. You got to
1: think it's and it's a windfall for events like this weekend, where you know the RBC Canadian. Um, you know, you might have had one or two marquee, real marquee names playing in that event in the past. And this year, you've got Kepka's playing, and DJ's playing, Rory's playing. So yeah, guys they, who want to get geared up for the U.S. Open in two weeks, obviously feel like they need to play, so that's that's a boon for some of these events that maybe weren't necessarily highlights on the schedule, like the Canadian
0: Open. Didn't that used to be later in the year? Canadian I think Open. it did. Yeah, I think it did, too. I've, I think
1: it was sort of in that lull between the British and the PGA. I think
0: so, too. I think they changed it. Um
1: But it's in a great spot now, two weeks before the U.S. Open. Yeah,
0: I I agree, and uh, I think it's a place for people to go and tune it up. Um, The travel's weird now, too, but anyway, we'll get back to that. One story this week I thought was interesting was pace of play. Uh, We were kind of talking about pace of play, just not necessarily related to players, uh, specific players, but there were two instances uh, during the week. Uh, One at the U.S. Women's Open where Andrea Lee, uh, was warned for slow play on Saturday and then penalized two strokes. Uh, she wound up shooting a 79, so it didn't really matter. And uh, Bryson DeChambeau was was uh, hit, uh, warned. What do they call it? Put it on the clock. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the very next hole, he was he was uh, picked up a, 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 a penalty shot as well. It was they were play, he was They reversed the front nine and the back nine, so uh, he was on his ninth hole, but it actually or his tenth hole. It actually was the first hole. Anyway, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, pace of play, and why does it why does it take some people? Those two are a little bit different. We'll talk about them in a second, but what in general? What are you thought about pace of play?
1: Um, I think it's a problem. I think it continues to be a problem. Um, by the way, I think she was only penalized a single stroke, not two strokes, for okay her pace of play penalty. But uh, you know, I I don't think. Until, unless and until they start finding people, finding the professionals for playing slow, I don't know necessarily how it's going to get any better. I mean, you've seen in the last couple of years, um, I know Molinari has been vocal on Twitter about slow play and what an issue it is. Um, it's not good for the game to have six-hour rounds like they had at the Women's Open. Um, I, I don't know why the tour doesn't, seemingly doesn't want to do any more than what they're doing, which is it seems like when it's really bad to go warn maybe a high-profile player, but ultimately nothing happens. And it's not going to speed these guys up until, I should say these guys and, and, and some of the ladies, obviously, who are playing in six hours. I don't think it's anybody's going to speed up until there are real repercussions because at the end of the day they're going to say, well, what are they going to do, warn me? Okay, I get warned. And that's it. I know I can speed up for two holes and then go back to being really slow again.
0: It, does television have anything to do with that? I don't think so. It's not like uh, they're holding up somebody who's a leader because they want to take their shot when they're off on commercial? Usually, the, what they're, no, I mean, the you they got one of the leaders, you're going to go to commercial as they go into the next tee, right?
1: Well, and now they have the, the stuff where they run the commercials, but you they have the split screen where you right. can still watch golf. So right. I don't think that has an effect on it at all i i just i mean some of these kids the young kids they get taught just bad habits in junior golf and college golf the college coaches with the don't hit a shot until you're ready um hey look patrick cantlay played great to shoot 64 on sunday to win the memorial he he you know clipped my pick um Mine was was right there. Mm, As I said to you in an email, you might want to unhitch your wagon from Tony. Um, I'm throwing him overboard. But Cantlay's, Cantlay's brutal. He's brutally slow. I mean, he gets over the ball sometimes, and he can't pull the trigger back. And I actually talked to Scott earlier in the week about this. and said, you know it's bad when the announcers actually made a comment about how long he stood over a ball to hit it. And, again, Nate, it's it's there aren't going to be any repercussions for this. I'll get put on the clock or I'll get warned, but ultimately nothing's gonna to happen to me. And until something actually starts to happen to these players who are habitual offenders, I don't see how it's gonna get any better.
0: Well the thing with Deschambeau is they're attributing uh it to his overly this is a quote, it was overly mathematical approach. And uh, you know, of course he was trying to use a protractor uh did he have the protractor on the courses?
1: <laughs> so. out?
0: But, I mean, he's using mathematical tools. And, I mean, you know, it's probably maybe the equivalent of uh, analytics in baseball, how managers are now just married to that and t- t- too badly. But uh, he's got his own approach. But, you know, beyond that, he's slow. And I think you're right. I think until it starts coming out of their pocket and mm-hmm. they enforce it regularly. I mean, that's another thing.
1: Um, and I get that this is their livelihood yeah. And This is a big deal They're trying to make a living They're they're trying to win money They're trying to win professional events But you're also talking about On on both sides The men and the women The best players in the world Who are not out there shooting 110 They're shooting good scores And there's no reason you can't If you're Patrick Cantley You can't shoot 64 in a little over 4 hours There shouldn't be a reason well, of course, uh,
0: back in the day, Jack Nicholas, he was the guy who was always uh, attributed to slow play, and he was the best player, or as he emerged as the best player, but that was, I mean, he used to stand over putts and be like, come on, Jack, hit the ball. Yeah. Um, but it was hard to argue with uh, what was happening when he finally did hit the ball, yeah. or was waiting. So uh, I know uh, Brooks Kepka called it embarrassing, so there's... There's, there seems to be chatter among the players. Yeah, there are guys out
1: there that that on the PGA Tour in particular that that you know don't have patience for it, and and I get it. I don't I don't have patience. I mean, a six hour round is it's almost surreal, um, you know. And I don't know how much of that had to do with the difficulty of the golf course because it was an old Seth Raynor design down at the U.S. Women's Open, and how much that. Played into it, and obviously that you know the more difficult a course is, the longer it's going to take because it's harder. Um, but it, it's it's a problem, and it's.
0: But but they're not hitting it in the woods and hitting it in the water. No, you're right. It's not like you know you can play. You don't play six hour rounds on a Saturday around here, and you don't see that happen. Used used to a while back, but you don't really see it now. And it, I don't know, it does. It seems you know they're doing it in four shots. You know, the guys who were playing. I mean, five look, tournament tournament
1: shots. golf for us takes longer than what a normal round for most players is, and and I get it. People, guys, that are out there grinding over shots because it's a you know a competitive event, but that doesn't mean that we're going to be okay with five plus hour rounds. I mean, we may increase our our pace of a lot of pace of play from four hours and 15 minutes to four hours and 40 minutes on a difficult golf course in the state am. I mean, that's not unreasonable to think that it's going to take longer in that situation. But if you get behind and you're over your pace, I mean, in threesomes, we're telling groups. That's the
0: other thing, playing
1: threesomes. If you can't play golf as a threesome in, in four hours and 40 minutes or on that kind of pace, then you deserve to get penalized.
0: Right. I mean, and, and a lot, in some events, they're playing twosomes. Yeah. So or at least uh, uh, Masters has twosomes, right? And U.S. Open does in the last couple of years. Most days, of anyway. them,
1: they try to have twosomes on the weekend. Right. Uh,
0: all right. Let's go to the Matt Kuchar in the middle of another controversy, uh, although I, I don't quite get this one. I want, I'm going to go to you as the rules maven of the program. Uh, he drove. He, he drove on the 17th hole... Into
1: a pitch mark, which is a divot, right? Mm, not, 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 I would not say that it's a divot.
0: It's, no, I'm sorry, it's it's something, it's like a plug, right? Right. Okay. So, uh, and he rolled into somebody else's plug. Correct. Now, the rule is, and then he wound up, were they looking at video on the course? Because I was believe talking so, about yeah. looking at the video, so he must have been, must have pulled out a, uh, a phone or something and do it, but anyway, um, the rule is if you can pick up your ball if it plugs right, kind of drive. If
1: you have an embedded ball, you get relief.
0: If you if but if you landed someone else's, that's your tough luck.
1: Correct, the pitch mark has to have been made by your previous stroke
0: in order to get relief. Why is that?
1: Um, would you
0: say? What's the what's the rationale behind that rule?
1: I mean that's just the way that it's always been that you get relief for a ball that's embedded in its own pitch mark, but not for I mean, outside of that it's it's rubber the green, which is not a term we use in the rules of golf anymore, but it's just it's no different than ending up in a in a divot in the middle of the fairway. You happen to get a bad lie in the fairway, sometimes you get good good lies in the rough. All right,
0: so it's just basically tough break, gotta to live with
1: it. I mean I would
0: Happens to everybody sooner or later.
1: I, I guess I, I would. I would say there's probably some people who played golf their entire lives who have never ended up in someone else's pitch mark. I that's think, pretty. I don't think that's I pretty hard to do because most in most cases, um, you know, you see when it,
0: in a hole in one,
1: right? You, <laughs> you see that walking down the the fairway, somebody's probably going to tap it down, um, which they can do obviously if it doesn't improve their where they're hitting their next shot. So it was... Um, I mean, I guess that's the rationale for it, is that it's It's always been that way. It needs to be in its own pitch mark.
0: I would think if you did... Well, of course, sometimes a ball will land and pop out and leave that pitch mark there. Mm-hmm. So you may not even see it. So it's not like the caddy could... Can you fi- caddy fix it after the fact?
1: After the player hit the shot, then sure, the, yeah, the caddy okay. can fix it. Probably should do that. But, I, you know, Scott and I talked about this earlier in the week. I'm not sure anyone... Has done more damage to their own reputation in the last six months than Kuchar has.
0: <laughs> no kidding. You know,
1: he went from being this happy-go-lucky, smiling, everybody-loves-him guy to, it turns out, he's cheap, um, stiffed his caddy in Mexico, and now it appears he's, a, he's a, trying to cheat, but to get relief for something he shouldn't get relief from. Uh. And
0: in between, Kevin Na made him look even worse by giving right. his caddy the car that he won.
1: And then we also had the issue with Sergio at the match play. Yes, which you know sort of flew under the radar with everything, and I know he and Sergio came out with that cute little video on social media, acting like everything was all hunky dory. But it's it's been a bad six months for him. I don't know. I don't know what he was doing out there and why he was so vociferous and thinking that he needed to get relief from that pitch mark. Um, I thought it was funny that Phil had just had enough. Phil Phil just played the whole out. I mean, Ricky Ricky stood there and waited for him at least, but. Phil Phil said, "I'm not waiting for the I'm this. not sure I'm Phil's got
0: the most patience in the world. No. I'm starting to think that uh, he doesn't. Uh, we, we're going to talk about him in a few minutes. He was all over the USGA about uh, design of the course, uh, the way they set up the US Open. But uh, so Coacher steps up, he shanks a seven iron, sends it over the green, but he did get up and down and wound up with his par.
1: Yeah. So, um, but missed the cut. True. So something. I believe he did miss the cut, didn't he? I, I think he that did. That was
0: on uh, maybe maybe.
1: That was on Thursday that he had the issue with. Oh, that uh, was Saturday. Embedded the embedded ball.
0: Um, all right, on to the U.S. Open. Phil Mickelson, as they said, very critical of the U.S.G.A. Quote was, "A hundred percent of the time they mess it up if it didn't rain." So I guess whether it didn't rain means they the balls are. The the greens are softer, so they got a better chance. Right, and and the
1: the insistence on firm and fast and sort of what they did to um, Chambers Bay and all the photos we all saw of it and lead up to it and then what it actually looked like during the event. Um, You know, I think people were critical of that and, and just sort of the aesthetics of the golf courses, but... You know, I don't know. I, I tend to agree with Scott that I think there's a little bit of Boy Who Cried Wolf with some of this stuff. And, you know, they've they've been doing this, the USGA, for a long time. And, I mean, I go back to something that Tom Watson said, I think, in 2003, um, when he, I believe he shot 65 in the opening round and was leading. I think at the time he was the oldest person to ever be leading the US Open. Um but he said it's it's it was his favorite tournament and it was his most difficult the most difficult tournament to win and I think the USGA prides themselves on that part of it that it they think it should be the most difficult tournament to win in the shouldn't world it, shouldn't it probably yeah but I think that they I, I don't disagree that they've become I, I think they could do a better job of year after year saying you know what if some years even par wins that's okay. If the next year fifteen under wins, that's okay too. And if the next year it's eight under, and if the next year it's one over, I mean, I don't. I think the guys would have less of a problem with it if there were those years where it's a good setup. You can go out there and score. It's a straightforward golf course. They haven't they haven't tweaked it. They haven't Mickey Mouse it. It's all just. It's sort of right there in front of you. Um, now, look, I have no problem with them wanting to. Narrow fairways at Pebble and grow the rough up a little bit because with with without much without weather issues Pebble could could be very gettable for those guys um, if it, if it was set up it like was, in,
0: it was for Tiger in right and if it one. was
1: set up like it is in February when they play the pro am there and there's no weather issues I'm guessing you'd have you'd see similar scores to whatever they are in the pro am and they're probably multi digits under par in that event. So to, to toughen the golf course up in that way is... no. I mean, heck, Portsmouth, we've gone out there and had conversations with the superintendent and the head golf professional about growing the rough up a little bit longer from what they normally have it at. And part of the reason for that that it is if the wind doesn't really blow at, at Portsmouth and the rough isn't grown, it becomes a pretty easy golf course. It becomes a golf course where you can kind of hit it anywhere and still not get yourself in a lot of trouble. So if we don't have a lot of wind and the weather's you know warm and it's firm and fast, but we've grown the rough up a little bit, and not saying that to the point where people aren't going to be able to advance it, but just made the rough a little more penal, I mean, so we're in essence doing the same thing. We're making that golf right. course a little bit tougher. I don't have a problem if they want to do that, but I do, as we talked about last week, when they do some of these things where guys are playing a hole, the way they're supposed to be playing it because of the way the USGA designed it and they're still not rewarded for hitting good shots, that shouldn't happen.
0: Well, I, and you know, I've said this before and I'll say it again. I, I agree with what Scott says. If shots are unfair, um, that probably takes away from what they're trying to do. But in general, as a fan, um, I've always looked at, even though the Masters are special because of the golf course and the history and all that, all that, uh, this is the premier event. This is the world, the Super Bowl of golf, uh, or at least the premier event. And from my standpoint, I, I don't care how hard the course is. I like it
1: hard because
0: mm-hmm. I want to see guys overcome obstacles and see how really good they are. You know, that old joke, I'm not trying to embarrass the golfers, I'm tr- the best golfers, I'm trying to identify them. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's what their job is in that thing, um, you know, it seems Shinnecock last year, there were a couple, that w- there was one green, I can't remember which one it was, that you could land in the middle of the green and just would roll like 30 feet off the green. Yeah. Um, some of those, but was that golf course design or was that, uh, you know, the design of the green itself?
1: So, so going back, I'll just pick 2008, because that's the last time Tiger won at Torrey Pines. So here are the winning scores. So 2008 when Tiger won, he was one under. 09 was Lucas Glover at Bethpage. He was four under. Graham McDowell Pebble Beach in 2010, even par. Rory at Congressional in 2011, sixteen under.
0: Yeah, he annihilated that. Plus that was it was rainy too. It was it was
1: <clears throat> ridiculously wet, and for how good he drives it, he basically felt like he could drive it anywhere, and it was going right. to stay in the fairway. Right. Webb Simpson at Olympic Club one over. Justin Rose at Marion, one over. Keimer at Pinehurst nine under. Spieth at Chambers Bay, 5-under. DJ at Oakmont, 4-under. Kepka at Aaron Hills was 16-under. And then Kepka last year was 1-over. So, you know, I guess, and actually looking at those numbers now, um, I bet people would be surprised maybe a little bit that, yes, you have three times where the winning score was 1-over and once when it was even. But you have outside of that, you have one under, four under, sixteen under, nine under, five under, four under, and sixteen under again. And I get those sixteen unders are outliers, but I don't think I don't think there's anything wrong with a guy winning a seventy-two hole event being nine under par or even five under par. I mean that shows it's a difficult golf course, but I or don't I, think that. Or maybe they're of, making
0: shots. like uh, the year uh, Retief Goosen won at um, Shinnecock. He just putted lights out. Everybody, you know, really yeah. fast greens. Everybody had trouble with him except for him. And he—he, he, I, I can't remember him missing anything from 8 feet and in. And there were guys going, taking 8-foot putts and winding up 12 feet by. So, you know, that's just well, guys I mean, playing had the golf, great.
1: And they had the golf course borderline unplayable that year at Shinnecock. Right. But he was 4-under. Michael Campbell, Pinehurst was even. And then you had back-to-back years in 06 and 07. Ogilvy at Wingfoot was 5-over. And Cabrera at Oakmont in twenty in two thousand seven was five over as well. I mean five over is that's 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 a hard golf course. Yeah,
0: or set up hard because mm-hmm. I, I I I've been to a U.S. Open at, at Wingfoot and uh, it didn't seem like it was that hard a course to me. Uh, it was a long time ago, so I really can't remember it. But uh, I mean remember it very clearly, but. Uh, it, you know, so setup plays a role. This is one reason I like it being played at Pebble Beach, because you've got the pro am that happens early in the year, and you can kind of see how the play, how the players handle that versus how they handle the USGA setup of the US Open.
1: So. Yeah, it's it, yeah. I mean, it's look, it's a great iconic venue. Um, it is really neat. We get to see a tour event. Out there every year, but it's neat to see the U.S. Open there. By the way, at Wingfoot the year um, Ogilvy won, the cut was nine over. Um, so that just tells you how difficult it was. But it's neat to see the U.S. Open out there, and it's it's kind of cool too because the tour event is very fun and laid back because you have the celebrities out there playing as well on the pro am. Right. And now to get to see a major championship there, it's 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 always it's always fun, and and we get some prime time golf out here on the East Coast. That, too. Which uh, is fun, I like that, actually. Which is fun, yeah.
0: Um, a couple of qualifiers are going on. Jason Duffner and Luke Donald qualified this year. Uh, qualified this week, I mean. And others who didn't. Steve Tr- Stricker, Bobby Clampett. How old is he? About, like, 95 by now? Yeah. Every time I hear his name, I think of the Beverly Hillbillies. And Patrick Hamilton. Patrick Hamilton did not qualify as well. Gary Nicholas, plus nine yesterday, he didn't uh, qualify. So
1: I don't. Brian Harmon didn't qualify. Um, yeah, there's some names. Yeah, um, Luke Guthrie qualified. Um, looks like Roy Sabatini qualified. Luke Donald qualified. Aaron Baddeley qualified. Yes, um, Stricker. You mentioned Bill Haas missed The cut. So yeah, it's it's. I mean, if it's that's stressful. Patrick Harrington didn't get in. Austin Cook, Ricky Barnes, Ryan Palmer. Um, you know, definitely some notables there that are have been left out of the field. It's tough for those guys when they have to go qualify.
0: Uh, On to the big stories of the week: Women's U.S. Open in Charleston, South Carolina. I thought the car, I was looking you know I complained by the about-
1: way. Matt Parziale from Massachusetts qualified. He he's the, which is he's the Mass,
0: mass Am champ, right?
1: Um, Four guys from Massachusetts qualified. At some point, I'm guessing Matt won the, the Mass Am. At least one.
0: I think he's the reigning. I think he's won twice. He won twice. the
1: U, He won the U.S. Mid Am a couple years ago because he That's, played he yes. played in the Masters last year.
0: Yes. He's a fireman from Brockton. Correct. Yep. Uh, on the U.S. Women's Open, you know, I complain about ESPN going overboard on Tiger. I have to say, weak coverage. ESPN on the Women's U.S. Open. It was hard to find well, you, anything on there because uh, it was on ES- Fox. I know, but ESPN. But it's still news. <laughs> ESPN.com. <I> under- <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, come on, that was that was my cheap zing there. Yes,
0: yes, but it just all I'm saying is it's uh, uh, you know it's it's supposed to be a news set. This is ESPN.com. So I was. Anyway.
1: I'll tell you what. Fox's coverage for as many people want to complain about Joe Buck, they do. Which, why
0: don't people like Joe Buck?
1: I don't. I don't I, get it. I don't get it. I think, I think you okay. and I are the only two people in the <laughs> Joe Buck fan club. I think he's fine. I'll never understand why people say he talks too much. I think if you listen to some of his best calls, he knows to be quiet. Yeah, you know, he said in interviews before the most important thing a play-by-play guy can do is be quiet and let the moment speak for himself. But just, anyway,
0: when the Red Sox beat the when the Red Sox ended their eighty-seven
1: year and it, he did the, the same thing with the Cubs too. Yeah. When the Cubs yeah. won, he just he he you know yelled the cubs win and and then he stayed quiet.
0: I I just don't get it. I think I don't he's really. good and he's really versatile. You know, he can do uh, he's
1: good at baseball, he's good at golf, he's, he's good, good on football.
0: At, I mean, I would rather have needles stuck in my eyes than listen to Troy Aikman <laughs> do the game with him. But <laughs> <laughs> Troy Aikman has got to be the worst announcer ever. All he says is, "Let's get somebody to make a play." That's all he says through the whole broadcast. Comparing him to Romo is just such a mm-hmm. anyway, that's that's football. That's we're, that's a ways off. Football's the reason they moved it the to PGA
1: to May. Right, see, so it all ties <laughs> in.
0: Yes, we, we like to get around. But, uh, but And then there was the Hank Haney uh, controversy, also a name for well, some Green Acres, not the Beverly Hillbillies, but the same producers and same television era. But uh, <laughs> that's, I don't know, I, I understand. he just was talking. It's the third rail though. It just there's some guys who I, maybe he's to the point where he doesn't care. It's his it's the world and we live in, living isn't it? Right.
1: It really is. It's, I mean, you just you just you you, you never know what what you're going to say and and look, we talked about it a little bit before the the podcast. It was it was it was crass, it was immature, it was Right. nasty um, the way he said it. Right. And and condescending um, and he should have if he wanted to make that which I think is a fair point that Korean women really do dominate women's golf I don't think anybody would deny that but right. I think you need to put it a little more eloquently if that's the point you're trying to make um, right but you know
0: but he was condescending toward the women absolutely game. yeah I, I think so I, I didn't see I don't understand the racist calls for that I do understand that he was condescending to women and why go there? Right, it just doesn't make any sense. I agree. Tiger said, "Was Tiger being politically correct when he said he deserved what he got?" Or, or uh, <laughs> I, anybody? Look again. If, I think I would. I he would was go right. Back, I think Tiger was right.
1: I would go back and say it's the world we live in. That if you if you're that irresponsible with your words, you, you have to understand right. that something like that's going to happen. Yeah. And and so he. I don't think anybody should be surprised. Of course, he wasn't bothered by it because he doubled down
0: on Sunday. I know when Jenner and Lee want Lee six, and I thought I was looking at her name. I didn't realize <laughs> where the six came from. I am going. That's a weird, and it's they that's labeled by the by the LPGA. Well, she got it from the Kore- so many Lee's.
1: She got it from the Korean PGA Tour. Okay, that's is right. where she initially got it. Okay,
0: so there's but there's so many Lee's, yep. which kind of fortifies what Hank Haney was saying, right? And. Uh, <laughs> and then she wins, and he doubles down and says, who's the great predictor? So, you know, I, yeah, guess, probably I, guess, not the, su-
1: I guess the suspension didn't really bother the uh, two No, guys. I guess not. Not not the tact I would have taken there. But um, but a really a, a good performance by her. A really cool golf course, too. Um, Seth Raynor designed down there in Charleston. It, it, it looked pretty neat. You get some of those greens with big swales and false fronts and watching some of the ladies try to, you know... Taking putter off the fairway because they're trying to get it up and over these big swales. It was it was a a pretty cool event down there. It seemed like.
0: Yeah, I I I, I agree. I know um, Charleston's a great place to go to. Yeah, it is. So you must be there. Have gone there a few times from where you are. Yeah, we've got we've got parents now, and I've
1: got family down there. My sister and brother in law and their two kids live in uh, in Mount Pleasant, which is just outside Charleston.
0: All right, on to the memorial. I thought fairly nondescript. I mean... It kind of was like, okay, the guys are playing well. Can'tley 19 under. Adam Scott, 17 under. Adam yes,
1: Scott, my guy. I mean, you know, outside of a guy shooting 64 on Sunday, he would have been right there um, and probably won. Keimer obviously didn't play very well on Sunday. Um, but I'll tell you, I mean, you got to give credit to Can'tley. He played great. Um, you know, Adam's Adam Scott's just really solid. He just hits it so good. Um, I said to Scott earlier in the week, his just I could watch him hit wedges just all day, but I don't know how he
0: putts with that thing.
1: Scott made the point. It's it's every club in his bag. He drives it so darn good too. Um he, he really he we really haven't seen him
0: though. I mean he went through a bad stretch last he year. He
1: was in contention at Augusta. He played well with the Masters and then the putting got to him it seemed but like he
0: had to qualify for the US Open last year. And
1: barely, barely got in. I mean, he's struggled. He's just—he's always struggled with the putter. Um, yeah. But Cant- you know—Can'tley's interesting. All the talent in the world. It seems like um, he played great on Sunday. I sort of thought he'd—he'd he'd have a hiccup coming in, and he didn't. Um, he was really solid. But he's—he's he's an interesting guy to me. He—you don't get a lot out of him from an emotion standpoint. He's slow, as we've talked about. And I know that there was a lot of chatter about he's a guy who could potentially be a Ryder Cupper next year. As I said to to to, to Scott, a, um unenergetic, kind of boring guy who's slow. Just what the, they need. The guys will be lining up to be his partner. <laughs> you know, if he and Keka play together, they'll put everybody to sleep.
0: <laughs> well, put him with Sergio, because then that'll be like a seven hour <laughs> round with those two it's guys. It's true. Uh, all right. What would what would a what would a a preferred lives be without the tiger update from the memorial? Are the people looking to? Is, does it look to you like people are looking for the blue sky and everything, or the the, uh, uh, the silver lining in every cloud? Uh, in that um, he didn't play well on the back nine on Saturday or Sunday. In fact, he handed well. I don't want to say hand off the tournament, but he you know he he, he coughed up the tournament. His spot. In contention on both of those days, yeah. with after two really good front nines, uh, and but all I heard was, "Well, it's his fourth top ten finish." Um, which which uh, side of the coin are you on for him with that with that uh, his performance?
1: You know, I, I don't know. I mean, look, he's a major champion again, um, <clears throat> and he's the best player ever, and so I, but look, he played he played. I thought he played really well on Sunday. I mean, I I don't. Hadn't seen him hit the driver that well in a long time. which 13
0: out of 14 fairways.
1: Which could be really good news for him at the U.S. Open, but I also don't think that's something we see consistently enough for him to think that maybe isn't more of a, just a little bit of anomaly. And he's playing someplace he's won five times at Memorial, so obviously he's got a comfort level right. there. Um, so we'll see if he can maintain that going into the U.S. Open. But, you know, it's look, I, I don't want to diminish his – talent and who he is but I think you have anybody in the top 10 and probably down to the top 20 who says if I had had a better 9 or 10 or 12 hole stretch here there I would have been in contention I mean that's how small I think the margin is from the top two or three down down through the top 20 really um so in that you know in that case he had a he had a good week but I think a lot of guys probably felt like they had a good week and if they had had a couple holes here or there that that they could have you know Made putts on where they just missed a putt that they would have been right there at the end, and I'm guessing that's how that's how he feels still.
0: See, I think it had both sides of of where his issues are, where he gets where uh, or his past issues uh, are, where he has some very good holes and looks Tiger-like, but he's got the three or four holes that he never used to have. He had them there on you know both on the back nine and the final two days. So to me. I don't know if you can walk out and say silver lining or not. Both the good thing and the and the issue, the problem issues, were both there. Yeah. Which, in the end of the day, is you know why he finished where he finished. He finished in the top ten. That's good, but there's a story... I mean, that- I guess
1: you wonder if there... With how well he played at the end of last year, if there's a run like that somewhere this season that we're going to see where he was really... really? in contention, and you could argue at times dominant with how he played. Um, as we talked about, look, yes, he wanted Augusta, but he got a heck of a lot of help. Yep. It's not exactly like he didn't go out there and shoot 65 and lap the field on Sunday. He shot 70. right? Um, and without that help, who knows what happens. Maybe it's just another top three or top five for him. Um, but, I, look, I think for people who are Tiger fans, you have to take it as a positive that he... Played well, top 10 did. Right. Coming off the cut at the PGA. And
0: as you said, he drove well, which yeah. is, is important coming up in the U.S. Open. I mean, to me, Tiger at Augusta when he won was like watching Pedro Martinez when he was pitching for the Phillies at the end. The 99 mile an hour fastball was gone, and he, you know, the Phillies went to the World Series his last year that he played, I think. Was his last year? Was the and major, now he was was,
1: he was 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 the little person there with him? I don't what know. Was I think, I don't know if, what was that guy's uh, name?
0: Ferdinand? No, uh, I don't know. I can't think of it. But but anyway, uh, but Tiger was winning on was winning on guile, and the fastball was down to ninety one, and he was now he had you know so to me that's what how Tiger won that Nelson game. de la Rosa, Nelson,
1: right? That's right. Uh, so anyway, by the way, he died in two thousand six. I, I know that. I I
0: was in mourning for about two weeks when that <laughs> happened. Uh, so and ESPN was relatively restrained. The reason, by the way, I'm on ESPN as it relates to women's golf. Um, the World Cup is coming up this mm-hmm. week, and my niece is playing on the American team. So I want massive coverage. I don't want
1: searching around. It's a, that's to find on Fox something. too, isn't it? I think. It is.
0: It is. Yeah.
1: Although there's a huge and your niece is Allie Long. There you go. So she's uh, there's
0: a huge spread this weekend, or it's actually a World Cup issue in Sports Illustrated. It's really great, but anyway. So I would say coolest thing in the family. Anybody's done. Yeah, it. no kidding. So That's awesome. It's, uh, it's exciting. So, all right. I wanted. We were talking about the PGA schedule a little bit uh, earlier. Well, the Canadian Open is coming up, which has kind of been a, I don't know. What would you say? Top tier since so Scott's not here I can't go to categories but
1: um I don't think look tier, it's one of the tier. it's been around I it was like a regular stop like the. it's John been around Deere since classic. 1904 I Arnold mean so Palmer it's wins. one of the I think it's one of one of if not the oldest stops on the PGA yeah, tour Arnold Palmer's first tournament win was there um I mean heck you've got past winners you got Greg Norman Nick Price, Steve Jones, Curtis Strange. Lee Trevino won it three times.
0: So there goes there goes my Sports 101. I was got my Golf 101. Uh, I take it back. Uh, one golfer won the Triple Crown. Uh, I take it back. Tiger won the Triple Crown, U.S. Open, Canadian Open, British Open in 2000. One other golfer has done that. Who would that be? Lee Trevino. Yes, yeah. So much for the internet and my questions. He's He... he Sam Seed and Tommy Armour are the only uh, three-time winners of the Canadian Open, so that's some you know good you know historically good players. Well, DJ won last year, so there's current good players too that are playing in that. So, um,
1: yeah, I mean, it's like we talked about. It's it's and I may have misspoken earlier. I guess it's only two weeks until the U.S. Open actually. Um, So, I mean, for it to have the spot. The week prior to the U.S. Open, um, I, I think that's that's a boon for the event. I don't think this is an event I know that McElroy would have been playing in normally, but now he feels like he needs to play the week before the U.S. Open. So um, you've got a pretty decent field.
0: What's what's the, the preferred? I mean, it goes based on the individual. But what's the preferred course? Do you think to um, play the week before U.S. Open or rest and practice at home the week before? I
1: mean, it's just so individual for. For the players and what they, how they probably how they feel about their game, um, you know, what the what the how the golf course fits in terms of what the U.S. Open setup is going to be. You know, I wonder if they don't do. It seems like it's the Houston Open. Is Shell right before the the Masters? Still, I don't know if it is anymore. But no, it always sure seemed earlier. like. You know they used to to really try to mow everything down kind of to prepare the guys for not that you could prepare for prepare for what a is going to be like, but at least give them a some of the the kind of the visuals that they're gonna have it'd be interesting to see if maybe they'll do some of the th- same things at the Canadian open well maybe they'll grow the rough a little bit longer and do some of the things that the u s g a s might be a little more inclined to do for the u s open just so they can get prepared for it but um You know, it's got to be, when you commit to these events, I guess you sort of have to commit to it and then go into it with, you know, maybe you're nervous if your game's really peaking that you don't want (laughs)
0: to go
1: play well at the Canadian Open and then miss the cut at the U.S. Open because you feel like you've peaked. But um, I think most of these guys are good enough that they can...
0: I would take weeks off, uh, a tournament off, or maybe even two if I wanted to, and would play the week before the U.S. Open. Just because I think uh, sharpness matters, <clears throat> and, and I and I'm thinking of myself more in other sports because sharpness really wouldn't matter for me in golf anyway. But uh, you know, I just I always liked being ready to having tune-ups, you know, going in, and I you know rest can be overrated. I just I always know like for instance in the NCAA basketball tournament when a team that was on a long winning streak loses right before it. Or in the ACC tournament, or whatever. Now everybody's got a tournament. Yep. I always thought that was a good thing because sooner or later streaks end. Yep. And uh, so, but you're still playing, and you know. And I mean,
1: it's interesting too. It you know, he, it, some guys probably want to get out there early. They have their house where they're staying. They can get right. acclimated to being in the area to the time change. Now the guys that are playing. Kepka, DJ, Rory. And it's on the
0: East Coast, too.
1: Right. They've got to get in a plane Sunday afternoon, presumably. Fly all the way across the country, and then they're going to play a practice round Monday. And look, I get it. That's part of the rigor of, of a PGA Tour schedule, and they're used to it. But you know what? It's it's what everybody's comfort level is.
0: Of course, it is tough flying in a Gulfstream it, and right. a private jet. Then. When
1: you leave the golf course in a chauffeured SUV and drive directly out to the runway <laughs> to get in your plane... <laughs> It's not exactly like you're right. going through TSA with a 200 other rubes like we are when right. we travel, and
0: you're three hours early, and you're taking your shoes off. I'm sure all there are people stuff. listening
1: right now. So, oh, the poor PGA Tour players and that rigorous, right? It always reminds me schedule. of that kind
0: of thing. Ever, ever see the movie um, um, Pretty Woman? Mm-hmm. You know when they're going up to the opera and they take the gigantic stretch limo drives right up to his plane. That's the that's the thing that popped into my mind. I didn't think we'd have it. a pretty woman
1: reference yes. on the show this year. But yes, the, the, well the, yeah.
0: my niece is pretty so there's a pretty re- Allie is so there's a pretty <laughs> woman reference <laughs> there. And so are some other young women on that team. All of them. Me, oh my God. Let me God. change that.
1: All of them oh boy. are pretty women on that oh team. Oh boy. <laughs> Got Don Imus
2: over here.
0: <laughs> yes, uh, every single one of them. Even their relatives and people they're related to. <laughs> uh here's the other thing let's just have one other thing before we're going to step aside after you get done with this i had a chance to catch up with uh, cory mansfield a new pro at dairyfield country club lead coming from mount com i interviewed him and then we're going to go back to the final word but uh I- i've been looking at the rest of the schedule and we've been talking about the move of the pga but the rest of you've got the u.s open next week then they come back to Connecticut at the Travelers, mm-hmm. but that's Connecticut. That's fine. Over in Detroit, the Rocket Mortgage, uh, which I don't know what that tournament used to be. It was.
1: It used to be. It was the Quicken Loans Nationals in DC, and that was oh. there Was Tiger's event and. Oh. And so then they. Oh, and he m-
0: lost his sponsor.
1: Right. So then they moved it. They're going back to Michigan for that event.
0: Oh, I see. Okay. So DC lost that's and budget. and uh, Quicken Loans owns Rocket Mortgage, so it's a really basically the same sponsor. And I also know that the now I can't the the, uh, the um, Dan Gilbert who owns Quicken Loans owns the Cavaliers is a major developer in the Detroit area. I mean, mm-hmm. he's buying up all kinds of leveled homes. And redeveloping that whole city, so he's got massive investment. He's bringing, pretty sure he's bringing a a, a professional soccer team there. So a friend of mine uh, coaches soccer in the area, and he's been telling me about it. But all right, but then you go to July, you've got the Barbazol, was that the Barbazol bar uh, shaving cream open mm-hmm. uh, in Kentucky, followed by St Jude, which used to be in March, right, in Memphis. And Reno Tahoe open in Nevada in July. All of them sear places with
1: searing heat. Yeah, I think Memphis was always in the middle of the summer because it was always really hot. Maybe you're right. Maybe it wasn't earlier. You know, in the year I might that be I'm mixing that up with the Jackie Gleason Open too.
0: That 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 for some reason Memphis Kissimmee Florida. They was they all look the same to me. But uh, but but those are hot hot areas. Then in August uh, we're into the FedEx, but. Wyndham is in Greensboro, North Carolina, and uh, the FedEx goes to Medina. Uh, and it clo- it, the, the final tour championship is in Atlanta mm-hmm. in August. I, I don't understand the, the geography of how that, you know, I'm, I'm a big complainer about um, the way the NFL treats fans. And in, in, when by A, later and later into January, the playoff games are, But not only are they late in January, they're on at prime time, 8 o'clock at night. So in Green Bay, in New England, in places like that, you could... I mean, I remember the game against Tennessee in 2003. It was like 10 below with the wind
1: chill. Well, now we're going to have two more teams making the playoffs too, right?
0: Yes. But but I finally said, you know what? The stadium's packed. It's like the old Yogi Berra line. That restaurant is so crowded, no one goes there anymore. You know, so, I mean... People are going, yeah. So that's up to them. But I do think the NFL doesn't really care about its fans, or maybe it knows its fans. Who knows? Um, here's my thought on the FedEx Cup. I think what they ought to consider doing is make it like the NCAA tournament, basketball tournament, and move it around the country to marquee courses. And and because people people look to courses, right? Isn't that a, isn't that a draw? For why people to maybe jazz up the excitement level of those the year end event.
1: You know what motivates the PGA Tour? Money. Their sponsors. Right. So,
0: but it, the sponsors will move if it's got television coverage. They don't. Really, they don't like the what's the what is the, in the um, um the Deutsche Bank became, which is now going to rotate back and forth between Boston and. New Jersey someplace um, if 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 you know say Fox bought the FedEx Cup for those three weeks then big sponsors if it became a big enough event they're gonna line up and be part of it does't matter the location where it is really because they're after the television coverage and the and the and the attention that, that yeah, would well, I
1: mean, I mean, you're. I just I don't think you're going to get. I mean, East Lake, you're not going to get away from. Who knows what the deal is there? But that's where the tour championship has been for a long time, and where it's going to continue to be. Um, and you know, I think I think money talks for them, and absolutely. I mean, look, you're getting great golf courses. I mean, you're at Liberty National for the Northern Trust this year. You're at Medina. For the BMW, you've been a crooked stick for the BMW in past years. Um, you got a lot of choices in the Midwest there, in that Chicago, Greater Chicago area, um, and then plenty of choices up here in the Northeast with with Liberty National again hosting this year. So, um, I don't know. It's just I don't know if they how much the players would like that necessarily. I mean, I kind of get your point. It would be cool to see the Tour Championship at. Somewhere in California, Torrey Pines, yeah. something like that.
0: That's what I mean. Renowned course to people. Maybe
1: somewhere up in the Pacific Northwest. I don't think you'd want to go to Arizona, like, you know, somewhere down there at the end of August. I don't think that would be very pleasant. But, <laughs> right. Although I'm not sure Atlanta is much and better. And for the money, they
0: do it, though, right? Yeah. Um, all right. Well, that's just my thought. I, I think they need to do something to give it more juice at the end mm-hmm. of the year and have a cool ending to the season yeah. as opposed to,
1: well, I we'll see how people, how much people are engaged this year as opposed to the past years with the schedule change. Right.
0: All right, let us step aside for, for a couple of minutes. Uh, I had a chance to talk to Corey Mansfield. He's the new pro at Derryfield Country Club. Talked about uh, some of his thoughts on where the, what he's going to do with the course and what, what lies ahead for him, and then we play the course a little bit later. And then after that, we're going to come back. Matt and I will do the final word where we'll give our predictions. Of course, we already know I'm going to go with Tony Fee now.
1: uh, I'm not sure he's playing this week.
0: (laughs) I don't think he played last week. All right, let us step aside, uh, and we'll get with Corey, and we'll be back. Before we get started, let me remind all to swing by Golf & Ski Warehouse in Hudson, New Hampshire on Saturday, June 8th, because it's Demo Day where you can demo the latest 2019 clubs on the outdoor range from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., get custom fit by fitting specialists from all the leading manufacturers, enjoy special savings on 2019 golf apparel, shoes, bags, balls, gloves, carts, accessories, and selected golf clubs and putters. Clearance pricing is there on previous season drivers, fairway woods, hybrids, iron sets, apparel, footwear, and more. You can find the perfect, Father's Day gift for your dad, including gift cards and instant savings on GPS units and range finders. Now, let's play the course. We are here on location at Dairyfield Country Club with the new head pro, Corey Mansfield, and Corey, who steps in for the late, great Mike Ryan, who uh, unfortunately passed away in November. Corey, congratulations on the new job.
2: Thank you very much.
0: And uh, what are your thoughts as you're getting started?
2: Well, it's a busy place. It's a little different than where I came from originally. Um, Last eight, nine years, I was at uh, Moncombe Golf Club, a very private club, not a lot of play, but uh, different atmosphere, different location, obviously, up north in a Mountain setting
0: both have both have a lot of hills though both
2: definitely have a lot of hills, a tough course to walk. Um, here I, I played here a lot as a junior in the Red Ryan tournament, so I knew the facility, I knew how busy it was. Um, so I was eager to get down here and then tackle it and take you know take what I can and um, hopefully bring some of what I have to offer to here at Dairyfield and uh, kind of continue what Mike did here for the last 20 plus years.
0: <laughs> Excuse me. Um, let's go to your background first, and then we'll get into your plans on, on, uh, on for, for your work here. But sure. uh, first of all, you went to college in the South, as all future pros seem to do. Correct. where did you get your start?
2: Well, I, you know, originally I grew up in Lebanon, and then um, from there, as a junior golfer, I kind of wanted to play a little bit, so I went to uh, Florida Southern College in Lakeland, Florida, where I played. Played golf and I actually ran cross country. I was a cross country runner, so I enjoyed down there. Had a good they time. Do that
0: in cross country in the in the, in the fall. Yes, the so, yeah. So that's got to be extreme heat it Serious is extreme
2: heat, heat and uh, you kind of had to kind of run a lot and train a lot at night and then uh, have your races at seven o'clock in the morning so you had to get up quite early. Oh, yeah that's how they get it. Yeah, oh, that it yeah so you know from there I you know I wanted to come back I had a, a mentor in Dick Tuxbury from Eastman I worked there for nine years at Eastman Golf links as an assistant uh, he kind of got me into the program taught me what to do and then got my class A in 95 and then from there worked at various golf courses around New England uh, where I ended up here at uh, Mount for the last eight years and then back here you know, this year.
0: So where else in New, New England did you work?
2: Um, I worked at Hanover Country Club, uh, Country Club in New Hampshire, Townsend Ridge and Townsend Mass, which is a very similar course to this.
0: What's, what's the hole there at Townsend Ridge? I played there once in a tournament, and it's a par 3, and it goes down, I think it's on the back 9. You go down this hill... I found 40 balls. Oh, yeah. I hit find, one over there. was yeah, just you'd... looking for my ball, and it was like a catch basin, and it was like, this is unbelievable. I yeah, had it, trouble carrying them out. Very tight
2: imagine. golf course. Number four, a lot of people remember four because it's one of the tightest par fours you could ever play. Had to get a drive and play, and then from there, try to make par. Usually par is a great score on that hole there. Um, yeah, very tight. A lot of outings. We used to do about 100 outings a year, so I was used to being busy, a busy course quite like this. And then um, from Townsend Ridge, I went to a course, a municipal course called Valhalla in Maine. And then from Maine came sounds back. Like,
0: sounds like a rock star, an acid rock star yeah. from, the, from the 80s. <laughs> yeah, I
2: then from Maine, I, I came back to Lebanon. We had our second child. My wife Jennifer and I had our second child and wanted to move back closer to home where our folks were. I started a golf school in Lebanon at the four-year driving range. And then from there, I started teaching the owner at Mount Calm. Who brought me on full time at Mount Com, and then after that, Mount Com got sold less past fall, and f- I was going to stay on, but it, I saw this as an, a a unique opportunity to, uh, as I said in my interview, to find my last job. So hopefully, this will you know take me on for the next twenty years. I hope you certainly you can be busy here. That's yeah, for yeah, sure. exactly.
0: Um, I've always thought the ride up eighty nine. I'm, I'm a guy who likes to play, who has over the course of. Uh, uh, playing golf since I moved here, played a lot of golf courses around. I'm Correct. a person. I'm a golf course guy. Yep. You know, some people like to uh, have it like it for different reasons. Yeah, competition. Some people like it for betting. Some people like it just to get their handicap as low as they can get it. Me, I like playing a lot of different courses. Uh, played. I think I'm up to like 58 of the 93 in New Hampshire. All right. And uh, but I've always felt driving up 89. There's a lot of good courses. That I'm not sure people in the Manchester area really know about. Like, friend, you worked at two of them. Eastman is one. Country Club of New Hampshire is another. Talk about those.
2: Yeah, bo- you know both golf courses. I, Country Club of New Hampshire is one as a frill course uh, managed by Frill Management. Uh, one of the best layouts in the state. And it's a unique course. Each hole is relatively on its own. It's got a lot of different uh, dog legs left, dog legs right. And it's just a pretty setting at the base of Mount Kearsarge. And that course we did a lot of outings, a lot of events, and we had a couple cottages that people would stay overnight. Um, fun golf course to play, great layout. Um, tough golf tough course. Tough golf course, too. You know, I mean, they had all you, different guys. you off
0: the fairway, you got trouble.
2: Correct. And then... As you go into Eastman, Eastman's a community uh, which the public could play there. When I was there, it was very busy. We had five hundred members back in the heyday of you know the late early nineties, and um, unique and it's very hilly. Each hole is literally on its own. Uh, very have a pretty, long walk between. Long be walk between. It's of a tough course to walk. But very pretty. Always kept up very nice, and it's a fun golf course. The community was very active with the golf course. Mm-hmm. In the winter time, it's a cross country skiing um, touring center. Um, one of my favorite places. I have fond memories because that's where I started my career, and uh, it was a lot of fun. And um, then from there, obviously, I was at Mount Calm which again, this owner was very unique, and the fact that he built it literally for himself, and. <laughs> we, had a, we had basically 80 members there, and it, it was one of the prettiest courses I've ever played, and the fact that you have vistas, 300-mile vistas from our first green. Um, he built it user-friendly. It's not overly long. Um, there's plenty of landing area for everybody to play. So he tried to make it that it would challenge a pro from the back tee and... Uh, an average handicap, fifteen handicap, per play it from the regular. Well, match. that's one of the forty-three I haven't played. So yeah, I am going to get over there. You know, right and there is and there is plenty of others. You know, there is Baker Hill, there is Sonapee, there is so many quality golf courses up that eighty-nine, right. starting with Concord right here in Concord. Right. Um, you work your way up, and there is a lot of beautiful golf courses all the way up. I'll
0: say one of the one of the prettiest spots on a golf course in the state of New Hampshire, I th- of of the ones I've seen, is that is coming off the tenth green at uh at country club in new hampshire when you're looking at Kearsarge, Kearsar. you got the par three in front of you yes you, you can see uh let's the, see, the lake the little this, pond and yes, stuff is very beautiful there and yeah. then there's the 11th hole that goes out so correct it's a it's a it's a nice yeah it's beautiful a beautiful
2: spot, spot. Yeah, and there's a lot of that country i've also worked at hanover country club which is a totally different setting owned by a um, the college but great membership. We had a lot of good friends that play there. I grew up playing there as a kid.
0: A lot of distinct holes as yeah, well. Yeah, it's
2: a lot of distinct holes. They had the ski jump hole. I was there when the ski jump was still there, and I've also been there through that transition when they Where renovated was that? Where was the ski jump? The ski jump was on 14, so you basically went up the oh. landing strip of 14. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was. A, it's a different golf course, and, and they've renovated it a lot over the years, but some of the same characteristics of the golf course is still there. It's
0: also got some... It's like two different golf courses in the way. You get, you, once you get past... The first, what is it, four holes, and go over that the scariest go, go over the bridge yes. in New Hampshire, <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got they're almost links like links like correct know.
2: back and forth, and then you go back down into the new holes, which are in a gully and up through the woods, and they're a little bit separate. And you're all a sudden, then you come back up what we call the gully, and then end up back on uh, fifteen or four, uh, it's uh, thirteen now, but they've changed numbers. But right. it's a definitely a unique. Experience. It's very convenient for a lot of doctors and college professors and the kids uh, because it's right in Dartmouth. So,
0: like if you remember Dairyfield Country Club, and you're looking to go play someplace else, those those are our recommend- yeah, those are recommendations. Those recommendations, 89. yeah. And, I, and as I said, I only first time I played Hanover was last year. A couple times right around the state am so it was, um, uh Also, nice place. Yeah, very I enjoyed nice. It. Um, so you owned your own golf academy as well. Correct. Uh, how did that come about, and what did that involve?
2: Well, I um, I used to play with the owner of the facility uh, a lot at Hanover and at Various Pro-Ans, Pete Johnson. And I, when we had our second kid, my wife and I decided we wanted to kind of come back closer to home uh, to raise our kids. So in looking at it, they I found out they were looking for a pro to teach and start the golf Academy. I love teaching. I love teaching kids. So I came back, opened it up, and... For the four or five years, I was you know, teaching 500 lessons, a lot of kids' programs, and enjoyed it a lot. Got to kind of promote the game that I love to play.
0: And as I was doing my background uh, on looking at some information about you, I, I, in case you're interested, there are seven Corey Mansfields on LinkedIn. <laughs> 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 All right. Let's, uh, now, you're also a player. Yeah. And uh played in this and we're taping this on a Wednesday you played yesterday in in one of the pro ams at yeah. Beaver Meadow. Uh you know, I've always wondered. People think that golf, golf pros get to play all the time. How often do you get to play in general or and is it difficult to get out?
2: Well, yeah, this first year being here, you know, is very different. I'm trying to get acclimated to everything. Um, I haven't played as much as I'd like to play. I'd like to say I'd like to play on Mondays, bring members to Pro-Ams, and have fun playing with them. I enjoy playing with everybody. It doesn't matter the level. I just like getting out and, and, and talking to people. Um, I also try to get out maybe once during the week if I can, maybe at night, uh, play nine holes, uh, maybe 18. But it, it's it's more difficult and people tend to think you know a lot of us don't get to play a lot we're working a lot of hours and in this case i enjoy working i enjoy being here if i can get out and hit a quick bu- bucket on our simulators I-, I might try to do that for a half hour but uh yeah we don't get out as much as we'd like anymore but i still enjoy it
0: and how many of the in the pro-am how many of those pro-ams do you play during we
2: try the- to play there's like 25 of them uh, every monday um, we try to play in a lot of those, and, um, so I get out to hopefully like twenty five of those.
0: So and I should note that you came in fifth place yesterday. last week. Yeah, last, yes, last week they week. came in fifth.
2: Yeah, good uh, for one hundred
0: and eighty bucks. which yeah, was, was is one hundred and eighty more I think it, than I've ever won. Correct, on before, so. correct.
2: We had a good day, and uh, <laughs> the week before we had a pretty good week, so it was it was good.
0: Okay, let's uh, switch to Dairyfield Country Club and your new role. What is uh, what are your plans for here? And and, and what's the difference? Let's start first. What's the biggest difference for you leaving a private club to one that's a, a very active. Uh, club owned by the city and public club.
2: Yeah, this is probably one of the most unique golf uh, golf professional jobs around. Most people don't know it. The city owns the land. I technically own the golf operations of the land, of the golf course. I uh, the employees all work for me that work in the pro shop, rangers, car, cart people, and um, starters. I own the shop and I also own the cart. So it, it was a new experience for me. There is not many jobs like that anymore. They're kind of the. I would say take it back 30, 40 years ago. Kind of jobs, um, it was. It was great. It was a new experience. I enjoyed it. So
0: it's not there's an entrepreneurial element.
2: Yeah, there was. We, you know, I had my own LLC. I had to start up, and that was a new take on the job that I I hadn't had a lot of experience. A little bit in Valhalla, I owned the shop there. So it was a unique experience. My wife is helping me out a lot. She's kind of the. The CFO, I guess you would call her, in the background, and as
0: many wives do. Yeah, they
2: did, and I've enjoyed it. It's actually been fun. It's kept me very busy. Um, My goal, one, when I interviewed for the job, was to maintain what Mike had started, and Mike. Was a legend here. He was a friend of mine, and um, I worked on many boards with him through the New Hampshire Golf Association. As New like, Hampshire PTA. as likable a guy, yeah, than was. he was. He was a great guy. So we knew I knew a little bit about the job. As I got more involved with it, it started up the LLC, got the connections with the vendors, and and, and got the shop up and running. My first goal was just to you know make sure I brought I kept the same staff. Um, I wanted to. I've heard a lot of good things about the staff. I wanted to maintain the staff and then kind of take the first year or first couple months even and just kind of absorb what was going on. And then from there, kind of bring my own take onto it. Hopefully add a little bit of um, my experience through the private sector and the private golf clubs and bring that here. I think everybody here is important. I think every member, every kid, no matter who you are, is important to this. You know, Golf is on a, I would say, leveling out. It was on a decline. I hope it's leveling out at this point. One thing we have over everybody else is we got a very convenient golf course, which is right in the city. Uh, a lot of places don 't have that, so it 's a busy course uh, I enjoy it it was it 's been a great experience so far
0: and it 's also uh, a unique course in that uh, as we were talking about with the hills and there's uh, yeah. it 's not a long course. Uh, I don't know that I'd say it's a hard course, but it's got you know those <laughs> hills. Exactly, are unique.
2: Right? unique. It, you know, people when you're hitting uphill, a lot of people don't understand. That you got to add a club and, and playing in various and elevation changes. it's going to cha- yeah, right? go left if you're ready, and the elevation changes make it difficult. And we have a lot of good. We have two former stadium champs here. Um, there are a lot of good players here. A lot of very active players um, that play in a lot of state events and and play here a lot. And it's been great to get to meet them and, and, and learn from them. You know, the other thing is the, when
0: you've got um, uh, greens that when you're hitting uphill, you're hitting to greens that you can't see where it's going to land. Yeah. You kind of know where the flag is, yeah. but you don't know how close it is and that kind yeah. of thing. Uh, in, in a way, I mean, one of the things we, last week uh, on our program... Although, when this runs, I'm sure, not sure it's gonna be last week. But anyway, we're talking about the U.S. Open at Beth yep. Page Black. Correct. and And I'm from down there, and my father, that's all I heard growing up as a kid about Beth Page Black, blah, 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 and I played there. But there's a lot. That course had lots of greens that went up. we You get to see it. So there's a difficulty to that because you don't quite know where to hit the ball, front of the green, middle the, of the green, whatever. Correct.
2: Yeah, you basically a lot of times, you know, the members here will know. They'll look at certain holes, like 18, when you're teeing off on. They'll take a peek and see where the pin is. Um, we do have different color flags indicating front, back. But unless you know the green complex is. It's hard to tell where they are, and again, going uphill into the wind, it can add a club or two sometimes, and it makes that's what makes it difficult. There's some good greens here. We came through the winter very well. Um, other golf courses in the area have been hit hard, and we're lucky enough to, that we have a great superintendent with Jeff Rader that uh, he's done a great job keeping this place I, and maintaining. I would it. say
0: it's in better shape. Came through this year better than it did last year. Correct. Uh, the um, fourth old? green was in was in rough shape all year. Yeah, and they
2: did. They took some trees down that helped immensely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just a few. Yeah, exactly. You can now see the monastery, Correct. seminary, whatever the heck Yeah, that is, the, the, the nuns now have a great view down the fairway. They do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it probably opened up a nice view exactly from the windows because the did. trees are out of the way. Correct all
0: right that is a perfect lead-in to our next segment which is play the course which is our uh our uh time-tested uh element to this program when it was a radio show now it's a podcast we get a chance to sit with a pro and talk about three of their favorite holes or three holes that they think are the most interesting and then we uh talk about how to play it because not every place of course hole is played the same way um and uh, from my standpoint, that's part of the fun of golf, having to think your way through the course. Yes. Now, Scott Peters, who's not here, but you know who was uh, yeah. our one of the hosts of the program from Golf and Ski Warehouse. You've known Scott for 30, ever, 30, right?
2: 30, 40 years, yes.
0: All right. Well, Scott and I have a running debate slash joke about the first hole here, okay. which came about, uh, I think, a couple of years ago. We were doing the show from the patio, and yes. there was an NHGA event and we were watching all these people that we knew tee off, and Scott and I are arguing about what to hit off the first tee. He goes five iron because he likes he likes to hit a full club to the green, so he lands and he's got a full nine iron, which is his strategy. I'm telling him, who has played here a lot more than he has, yeah. go driver and because what it does is it lets you get a little bump and run um, and also takes out, because the green tends to run, this is the main reason I do the green tent. Well, plus I like the driver, but yeah. the green tends to run, and you can wind up in the trap
2: behind the green. Right, it is hard to hit a full. It's a very narrow green. Right, um, and I-, I, personally would hit driver here every time. I've never not hit an iron, and I know Scott is a great ball striker. So I'm surprised he doesn't hit driver here and try to chip it on. But I, I uh, think he's just trying <laughs> to show-, show me up when he does that. But, but- he is. Um, I, I under- especially when the pin's on the right on number one. The trees can block you out, so if you don't hit it far enough down that fairway, it's hard to hit into that green and get it close to that pin. So where if you hit a driver, you could be up by those bunkers and chip it on. I like the bump and run chip into that green. I like
0: to hit it up the left. you got to hit it up the left Correct. side kind of, so you get away from those trees. And also, if it's spinning a little bit, you can get on the hill and then go down into the yes. trees on the right. Correct. I mean, He, he doesn't want to do it because he likes to hit the long shot. By, yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, the full club. Full club, man. But... There's also trees lining both sides. Both sides. I'm an expert of hitting out of these trees, <laughs> so I'm not. I'm not intimidated. It's at very all.
2: easy, though. Know, that first, <laughs> the first tee kind of aims you down that right side, and those trees get a lot of play down that right side on one.
0: Although I saw, I will say, the last time the state am was played here, uh-huh. uh, Craig Stekowitz, who grew up playing this course, and yeah. Phil Pleat were uh, in the final against each other, and I, uh, I came over and I watched it and I followed around, and. Uh, and by the way, uh, Steck was here that day that Scott and I were arguing, yeah. and he hit hybrid, so he threw us in yeah. into another thing. But uh, but Phil Pleat, thats the first time I ever saw anybody hit anything, had a, hit an iron off the tee. tee. And uh, you know those guys are so good. But uh, yeah. I think he he went birdie, which by the way Scott went birdie. Which kinda, <laughs> you know, will yeah, remind you of that later, right? Well, he, you know what he did—he yeah. came around while the show was still on when he was going up to sixth hole. He calls me on his cell phone. So when you can see me, I'm hanging over the edge. You go, I got a birdie. So (laughs) anyway, Uh, having said that, uh, let's go to what's your first hole here?
2: Well, um, I'd I'd say 13. I like 13 because it's it's a drivable hole and it gives you a couple different options. Yeah, it's a birdie hole, and I think after playing number 11, which is uh, a very difficult hole, and you play 12, the the, hole in the course. Yeah, and, and it is. And it's a very difficult hole. You get to 12, up a nice little par 3. You want to make some birdies. And right. you. I feel this golf course is you have to take advantage of the birdie holes when you can. So 13, very short hole. For me, it's like a three-wood off the tee to get it on the green. Some people it might be a driver, depending on your distance. It takes an accurate tee shot. But I think if you get it down around that green, you'll be able to chip and putt and get a... Um, Kill, it's not, a, it's not a tough green.
0: The to putt. It's to, no, it's, it's what about two seventy-two? Correct. From the blues at the back. Yes. And uh, so you can, and it goes downhill, downhill. slants to the right, woods on the left, and it used to be worse on the on. I'm sorry, on the left hand side. They've cleared out some trees on the right hand side. Exactly. But, uh, but it is one of those holes that if you're driving well, you can get a birdie. In. Definitely get I, a birdie. Somebody who hit the flag on a fly. Yeah, I think there's
2: been one hole in one on that hole before, yeah. and well,
0: uh, and that's by the way where I want to get my hole. Yeah, in
2: exactly. That. If you're going to get it, why not on I, a par I don't four? want a cheesy <laughs> birdie. I want an eagle. <laughs> exactly. So it's one of those idea. You know, you can play a little fade I mean, off eagles. that double eagle. Yeah, exactly. That. That's a, probably more of a rare experience in the hole right. of one at this stage. Right. So right. it's a fun hole to play. It requires a good tee shot. If you want to lay back, you have to be careful because there's a couple bunkers out there to lay back to, and then you have a downhill pitch shot, which can be difficult to The only well.
0: real bad place to be is if you go up. Well, if you miss the green on the right, miss the green back because it's on a mound yes. on those sides, and then the chip, yeah. you can't hold it. It's hard to it's hold It's hard chip. to hold it.
2: But like I said, it is a chance to make a birdie for anybody, and if you could get it down there close and chip it up there, I think that's the... That's the play on that hole.
0: I always liken it to playing uh, poker with wild cards. you, Correct. Know, you got a chance you to get a chance like to five get of a
2: kind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Take advantage <laughs> when you can. Take advantage.
0: <laughs> all right, your second favorite hole. Here.
2: Um, 17, I like to play. I like the last two holes. They're very good finishing holes. 17 is a par 5. The only par five, only on the 5 on the golf course. And for the conventional, there's OB all the way down the right. Uh, the second hole is on your left. Uh, some of the longer hitters will tend to, it's kind of a small secret that don't play it down number two. Cause it opens up the green for your second shot if you're trying to reach it. Now, it's I will 565. tell you that I, I
0: played it down the second hole quite often, yeah. never on purpose. Never on I purpose.
2: Well, I, I tend to try to play it down two and then open it up and have a chance to reach it at two and get it up by the green because the green's very very challenging in that it's two-tiered, lots of slope in the front. And tough green, tough very, green, and so if you can bird. get it, you can make a big number on this hole, or you can catch somebody by making a birdie or an eagle. And again, you have to be a longer hitter to reach it. But even if you play it down two and get it up there close, it's a you know a chip in the putter. I don't know play. that I've
0: ever reached it into. I've been going the conventional way, the dog leg left, yeah, uh, you know, fifteen yards away. That's a close yeah, event, yeah, exactly. I got a new, I got a new three wood. One time, I think this is the only time I ever hit it on the screws. <laughs> that particular day, I did it, but uh, uh, but anyway. Um, and then there's the traps too. The trap there's on the trap. right in front is a pain in the neck. Yes, and then uh, there's a fairway trap that. That's yeah, there's a fairway trap about forty yards
2: short that you have to be careful for. You have to make sure you get it over that one on your second ball, and you're taking it over the trees. So, if you're not a long hitter, you play it conventionally and just take your chances on making a pot one putt for birdie. Otherwise you want to take a chance to play it down too as long as you're not going to hit it to anybody you have a great time i'll with tell that.
0: you one of the most what i think are one of the most challenging um uh shots on that hole is if you are left pin high from the green and you've got it you're not quite sure where what you're on you go up and take a look at what it's going to be but yeah you got to hit it up over a hump you really want to kind of land it on the hump correct because the hump will deaden it a little bit and then they you get a chance it down. and then with the angles of the green, depending upon where the flag is, Correct. it's in front. You yeah. don't know where your ball's going to wind up. I mean, but
2: some of the toughest pin plays that's on that hole is front. Front right on that, on the little shelf, is almost the hardest one to get it close right. to. Right.
0: Well, plus it's such a big, big break. Correct. And if you miss it, then it's going to roll downhill. Yeah. So in, if it's the pin is in the front of that green, it's, it's tough. It is very I, tough. I, I much prefer it in Correct. the back. Correct. Then, but anyway. All right. So uh, that is the 17th hole. And, uh, Corey, I'll ask you, we're going to close with the 18th hole, and I'm going to say this. Uphill, not long, 350, 360 360. maybe. uh, But I always thought it's diabolical. If you play 18 holes, to have to walk up that hill on your (laughs) final hole when you're tired, uh, that's, to me, a diabolical element of the course.
2: Yeah, it's a a good hole. It requires you to shape a shot, which I always like about any... Par four, Par five, or any golf hole that it makes you hit a shot. You can't just bob it away and hit it straight because you're going to hit it right through the fairway into the rough, or you're going to block it out to the right. So you have to hit a little right to left draw, which I tend to do. So I don't. That's why I like the hole. Uh, and depending on where the flag is, the green is you cannot see it. You can see the pit, but you won't be able to see the surface of the green. You are looking at a flagpole that sticks up behind the green. It's a great setting. The green's always one of the trickiest, and it's slick from back to front. So you have big to hit breaks a big break in the big, front of that big, big one Big well. breaks in the front. And Danny Avonaitis, a longtime player, good player in the state. One of the state am winners. One of the state he's winners. Uh, he has taken it up the first hole. That's a secret way. It, it. Yes, there's certain guys that if it played here enough, you could take it up one it, to a back pin. It's got to go over that
0: trip. deep trap that's in front of the green.
2: There's a deep trap right in front, front left. So if they put that pin Middle to front left, it makes it a very challenging shot.
0: Now, Danny has always told me that he hits to the shelf before it starts to go back uphill. He tells me to hit to the shelf, yep, which I ignore totally. Yeah, but, uh, uh, and then he hits up just same based on course a uh, club selection. Correct, but. I tend to uh, I bomb try and bomb it up the hill as best <laughs> I can. I do too. Not, I try to
2: get it as far up there and have the shortest club as I possibly yeah, can. I'm,
0: uh, that's, that, that, to me that's that's what works best for me. Yep. I don't mind. I'm not going to hit a half club there because you got you're going to have it. You got to have, it, have a full. club. I'm going to have you know full nine iron at, yeah, w- at best exactly. up there. So, uh, um, but it is an uphill lie yeah. which tends to pull everything to tends the left tends
2: to pull everything so you're aiming at the road and it can be a challenge if you block it right you could end up in the road out of bounds
0: right, now I have a funny story a friend of mine I, I, my fraternity that was in college had a uh, for uh, a few years had a thing called the KDPGA which was a tournament of we'd get like four groups five groups that would play together and play at different courses yeah. and when they came here there's a guy playing in it who uh, now is lives in Michigan uh, but went to college with us in Plymouth, and he's playing this hole for the first time. He's a good player, and he's playing with this guy who's a terrible player. Yeah. Maybe the worst athlete of a physical education major <laughs> in the history of mankind. <laughs> anyway, uh, this guy Gary Parsons hits his drive, and he's got, you know, I wasn't with him, but we're up on the, where the, there used to be a, was there a deck, deck? Yeah, there used to a, be a deck little, up but yeah. there. was No, this was two decks ago. Yeah. This was a little patio type. But anyway, okay. we're watching it, and... He pulls out, he, this, he's this. he got, you know, 8-iron maybe, uh, but it looks farther because it's uphill. And he says, what should I hit to this other guy? And he goes, hit all you got. And he's thinking, you know, he's thinking what he would hit, you yeah. have to hit. Yeah. So he pulls out, you know, a 3-wood or a 5-wood or something like that and airmails <laughs> this thing over the green. One hops the road, winds up on the 10th tee across the street,
2: and uh, and he just looks at the guy, <laughs> <laughs> didn't know what to say. Didn't know what to say. Yeah, we <laughs> we uh, played that hole. We used to play a progressive, so you the last hole, you, every ball counts. And my best friend, the last pro am I played with him here, he got on that hole. We were leading the tournament, and he knifed it out of bounds and ended up making a seven, and we lost by one. So he's never forgotten that hole. <laughs> that hole, can, you know. Isn't, do that to a lot of people. Isn't it true that
0: there's certain holes yes. that just own you? Like just, on this course, yeah. the third hole, it doesn't matter. I could hit the greatest shot that I ever hit in my life, yeah. and the wind would come up and blow it blow someplace. It someplace. Yeah. And then there's other shot like the, like the 13th we were talking about, one of those things, I always hit the ball well. I, I don't, yeah. you know, some, Just put some some your
2: eye just right and you just make yeah. a good swing. It's comfort, I yeah, guess, but definitely. as I
0: said, the third hole, that hole owns me. Yeah. It just doesn't,
2: uh, there's a lot of risk-reward golf holes out here on this golf course, and like I said, if you Take advantage of the short ones and the ones that you can make birdie on. You can make a score out here. Obviously, Danny has made a lot of good scores out here, uh, but it's a fun course to play.
0: Yeah, Danny's another one. The ten, the ninth hole is a, is a dog leg. It plays more, you know, I used to hit it over the top of the trees, but I hit my driver now lower than I used yeah. to. So I still can't convince myself not to, not do, not it, to do it, but it causes a one But anyway, he's the one who, he's, he's, he also says, you know, just hit it in the landing area and have a nice easy little chip up there. Rather i you know, I'm, you know, bomb it, I'm bombing. Yeah, get a hit but
2: driver over the trees.
0: I know, I saw a guy play with a guy one time who hit the firehouse. <laughs> over, I mean, it was an up the high, up the chimney. Yeah. He was a minor league baseball player, and I'm looking at him. The guy's got a neck that was like. Swung you know, as hard as he could just to go yeah, in the right direction. Yeah. So, anyway, it was like, his neck was like Brooks Koepka, <laughs> and he just launched this thing, and I'm watching it go, and I'm going, and it was from the white tees, I'm going, that's unbelievable. I yeah. said, that might land in the firehouse. <laughs> <laughs> but, anyway. All right, uh, I'll give you the last word and uh, your thoughts on uh, as you move forward as a new pro here at Dairyfield.
2: Well, again, the membership has been awesome to me and my family. They've welcomed us here, and uh, I just hope that I can offer them what Mike did and everybody's in the past has done here. It's, I follow a great tradition, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to uh, to be here. And it, it, I'm looking forward to the next year. Slash 20, I hope. All right,
0: that is Corey Mansfield. He is the new pro here at Derryfield Country Club. Congratulations Steve. Thank you. you. Best of luck. Thanks for having me. All right, thanks for joining us here on Preferred Lies. All right, Matt and I are back for the final word. I uh, would like to mention that uh, the presenting sponsor of Preferred Lies is Golf and Ski Warehouse. It is Demo Day on Saturday, June 8th. The uh, driving range and the uh, store are open from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. You can try any club you want out there. Test them, all the 2019 drivers, full sets of clubs, hybrids, etc. Fairway Woods, uh, they're there for you. This is in Hudson, New Hampshire, and uh, so you can demo the 2019 clubs. You can get custom fit on clubs, and I recommend that. I've been, they've finally got me to believe that that's a, a good idea. Uh, and you can enjoy special savings on 2019 golf apparel, shoes, bags, balls, clubs, gloves. I've got a speech impediment on that one. Carts, accessories, uh, selected golf clubs and putters. And there's clearance pricing on previous season drivers, fairway woods, hybrids, iron sets, apparel, footwear, and more. You can find the perfect Father's Day gift for your dad. Or, if you're listening, Christopher Long, for your dad. Uh, including gift cards and instant savings on GPS units and range finders, so check that out it 's on route three a in Hudson New Hampshire uh, on saturday ten a m to four p m and
1: should be said it looks to, like it 's going to be an absolutely beautiful day on saturday
0: yes and that's uh, that 's uh, helpful because uh, when they had their when they had demo day in mid April it was well we know what the spring was mm-hmm. like so it was a typical spring day for twenty nineteen, not in uh, pre global warming days. But anyway, all right. So uh, Canadian Open, the uh, what are the letters before that? RBC Royal RBC Royal Bank of of Scotland should be RBS, isn't it?
1: It's RBC.
0: They changed their name anyway. RBC Canadian Open. Uh, who do you like?
1: Um, wait. Oh you know, DJ's had a pretty good record up there playing left, in the Canadian Open. Last year. <laughs> um, I mean, it's he, you,
0: he. By the way, left his swing coach. Uh, this yeah, week. they broke up.
1: But he's he's so he left Claude Harmon and is with Butch still, or he left Butch and is with Claude. Claude. He left Claude. He left Claude.
0: Working his way through the family. I think. See, uh, right, by the way, I saw this tease. I saw that DJ breaks up. I thought it was going to be another. Well, room. even he's
1: not dumb enough to break up with. Uh, <laughs> yeah.
0: Um,
1: what's what is there? name? I can't even remember her name. I, I know her Paulina. Name is Paulina. Paulina Gretzky. Yes. Um, so I think it's you're hard pressed not to like DJ or Brooks. Obviously, um, Scott Pierce is having a good year. I think he could be a potential sleeper. Um, Corey Connors, Adam Hadwin, two Canadians. Although I think there's, I think there's some big sort of. Canadian curse where they can't have a Canadian it's been forever since the Canadian players actually so like won. Wimbledon with English players. It right. went like seventy years. Um, and Andy Murray was the was the one who broke yes. that, right? Yes. Um, I guess I'll take DJ this week.
0: Nelson, what was his name? Nelson, what was the guy's name? Pedro the, Martinez, The little right? person.
1: I yeah. now I can't even remember what his last name <laughs> Nelson, was.
0: Nelson, not Cruz. He plays for the twins. Uh I word was he was with Pat Murray when he when Andy Murphy won.
1: <laughs> um I'll take DJ, I guess, and he'll be the he'll be the popular pick heading into the, the US Open.
0: All right. Well that's who I was gonna pick. Um there's no fun if I pick if I'm gonna pick uh I'm gonna take Adam Scott.
1: Is he playing? Well I don't believe he's in the field.
0: All right. Well then that makes it tougher for him to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be really impressive if he won. I probably should have checked the field before I did that.
1: Um, I actually think Justin Thomas could be a sneaky good pick Yeah, this that's who I was going
0: to... right, I'll go with Justin Thomas. So you actually Come, get two picks. Coming off
1: thing. the injury, um, see what kind of health he's in. He could have a good week. Webb Simpson's probably a decent pick. You, know, you sort of drop off after you got Kepka Johnson, McElroy, JT, Kuchar, Watson, Webb Simpson, Sergio's playing, and then you've Keegan Bradley, Alex Noren, Shane Lowry, Stenson's play, and so it kind of falls off a little bit after
0: Keegan that. Keegan Bradley's been on a—he's
1: he's had on a good year.
0: Yeah, I'm. Not, I'm changing. I'm going Keegan Bradley.
1: All right, I like it. I'll, I'm I'll keep allow it New
0: England. Now, if my Touch continues, he'll probably miss the cut. But
1: I mean, I almost some in some way feel bad picking DJ because it's just sort of an obvious pick. But as we talked about a couple of years ago, or a couple of years ago, a couple of weeks ago, not sure why you wouldn't go into an event he's playing in and not think that he's easily going to be in the top ten if not win the tournament.
0: Yeah, he's going to win three or four times a year, so why not? And this one doesn't quite have the pressure, so he's less likely to do something where you just DJ like scratch your head and go, what is he doing? Or how did he do that? With that swing, how did he do that? Easy for me to say sitting here in the cheap seats. Yep. All right, that'll do it for us here on Preferred Lives. My thanks to Matt Schmidt, the Executive Director of the New Hampshire Golf Association, and uh, our first chance to do it here in World Headquarters. That was fun.
1: Thank you. Yep, uh, our pleasure. And remember, download on iTunes, Google Play. Spotify. Spotify, we're everywhere. Anywhere you get your podcasts, you can download
0: it. I've got them on both of those. and and, uh, Quick, hit the app, and there we are. Yep. All right, thanks. We'll see you next week, everyone.